All right, everybody, welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters. Good to be with you as always. Hope you guys are enjoying hunting season. Uh, man, it's the best time of the year. Uh, let's see, when you guys listen to this, I will most likely be just about to head to New Mexico. Uh, and then right after that to Montana to hunt elk and Lord willing, filling my first elk tags ever. I'm super excited about that. Um, but this is a great episode. Uh, another Alaskan, um, named Jeff Lund. He is the host of what used to be the mediocre Alaskan podcast. Now it's called on step Alaska. He's the author of a couple books and a newspaper columnist, um, an all around really, uh, thoughtful, uh, hunter and a good dude. So, um, this is a really cool conversation. We kind of dive into some of the bigger topics of, um, content creation and why we tell stories and the importance of telling them well and representing the hunting community well. And, um, it's a very interesting conversation, um, kind of more on a high level, almost sort of philosophical, but very relatable and a great conversation. So I think you guys will really enjoy it. Um, also, you know, I mentioned in the episode about a hunt film I recently released. And so, um, it's a great, hunt film. I hope you guys will go check it out. It's a backcountry DIY public land mule deer hunt with my good friend and sometimes partner, Luke Dusenberry. Uh, we both kill our first ever mule deer bucks and it's a really good film. Um, and I hope you guys will go to my YouTube, search my name, Hunter McWaters, go to the YouTube channel, subscribe while you're there, please. And watch that film um, and watch us both get our first ever mule deer. Um, it's a great hunt and hope you guys enjoy it. Um, you know, lastly, um, thanks to my partners, Onyx Hunt, Barnes Bullets, Seekins Precision, Loophold Optics, uh, CVA Muzzleloaders, and a bunch of others. But I want to say thank you especially to those guys right now. Um, if you want to grab some amazing products, not only supplements and backcountry fuel and stuff like that, um, they also have, as you can see right now, I'm wearing my Battleground Merino hoodie, which, um, you know, I'm not just saying this because I'm wearing it, but this is literally my favorite Merino hoodie I've ever had. I've had several from many different companies. This one's got, it's just really soft and comfortable, great hood, and it's got this reach through pocket, which is amazing. So they have cool stuff like this, and they also have, you know, I know a lot of you guys use their products like Ignite on hunts. I use Ignite on like every hunt and pretty much every day, to be honest. Um, slumber, multivitamins, I use their creatine. They've got everything uh, as far as um, supplements go, and you'll be supporting a hunting company. And they do a lot of charity work as well, so it's a really cool way to uh, just support a great company. And if you use the code QUEST, you're going to get some awesome stuff. You're going to save 20% and you're going to be helping me. So everybody wins when you go to Mountain Ops, get some great products and use the code QUEST. Um, also, if you want to get some uh, great backcountry meals, Heather's Choice, use the code QUEST over there and you will save and you'll also be helping me out. So enough of that. We're going to jump right into this awesome conversation with Jeff Lund. And hope you guys enjoy and you have a great fall. Stay safe. Enjoy God's creation. And we'll see you on the next one. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters. It's great to be with you. 
And today I'm joined by uh, my friend Jeff Lund of the Mediocre Alaskan Podcast. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Good, man. Um, thanks for waking up early. Uh, you know, we got a four-hour time difference. So, and you are a high school teacher, correct? Yep, high school teacher in uh, Klawak, Alaska, so, or uh, Ketchikan, Alaska, um, okay. southeast near Prince of Wales, where uh, everybody goes to hunt uh, deer. <laughs> if you're not yeah. going to Kodiak, like those are the two big choices. That's true. Um, so I, you know this, but I've been to Kodiak, and I've obviously seen lots of, well, mainly meat eater, but um, lots of stuff from that area. But it's so beautiful. Um, Alaska is just uh, a really special place. I don't know if you know that you probably know this, but um, it was the first trip I ever went on. Like backpack hunting trip was in Alaska. I just got back from my third, and it's just uh, such a special place, man. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's pretty it's pretty unique in so many different things or so many different areas that when people come up here once, they realize just how big it is and how much more there is to see. And so yeah. you just have to go again because really there's <laughs> no place that you feel like you've only scratched the surface. And even though there's like, there's nothing here, that nothingness is so vast and so consuming. You just yeah. have to go back again. So even if you're an inside type person, you go outside and you see your first glacier, like, Oh, I got to see that again. Or yeah. uh, my, my first bald Eagle. Oh my gosh. There, there's so many of them. I got to go back again because there's just, so much overwhelming yeah. outdoor stuff in the same way if i i've been to new york city before and you just you look around and there's just so much going on um there's so many shows to see there's so much food to eat there's so much <laughs> stuff to do that you can't yeah. do it all yeah. um but i don't i'm not a big city person but, yeah, it's uh, different that's a different so. thing but yeah i mean yeah. my first trip i was in this by alaska standards in the grand scheme of things tiny little controlled use area and one little corner of the state um and even just that area i just remember thinking man you could just walk until you pretty much die <laughs> like so if yeah. you're drawn to like adventure and like exploration um there's just nothing quite like it i mean you, it's not like you just walk a couple miles and there's another road another town it's i mean there are animals that live and die their entire life and may never see a human you know what i mean it's just mm -hmm. it's so cool but yeah, um, growing up there was pretty interesting because i like that's just what I knew growing up. I was we moved there when I was five, and so I'd, I'd ride my bike down to the river, and we'd catch fish, and we'd come back with them swinging from the handlebars. <laughs> and you know there'd be there'd be bear out there, and there'd be black uh, black-tailed deer, and that's just how we grew up. Grew up yeah. in the woods, and then as far as as far as hunting goes, it was just stuff that people did. It was really a way of life. You know, there was mm -hmm. no leveraging that for any sort of fame or any sort of anything else. It was just you know what you did yeah um so it was it was pretty crazy to leave and then i appreciated it so much more once i was gone I went to college in arizona and then i thought man the outdoor experiences here are cool but not nearly the same and just right. that pace of life and the lifestyle i started to see the frenetic pace and and the wear and tear that put on people and just the inability to just kind of hang out and just be okay with calming down and being okay with the rain, you know, things like that. So, yeah. um, it really is a, is a, in addition to everything that there is to see that lifestyle is very, very appealing too. And I appreciated it so much more once I, uh, left and came back. Yeah. 
And you have to embrace that when you go to Alaska. Because, like I said, you might be waiting for two days in a tent or on an airstrip. And that's Alaska. And if you come up there with this mindset of, like, I got to go now. Like, no, that's no, you're on Alaska time when you're in Alaska. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, that must have I been a transition. Post, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I saw someone post about uh, being upset with um, their transporter. <laughs> and I thought, all right, well. You can be frustrated with uh, the fact that apparently uh, two or three of their planes broke down or something like that. It's like, well, you don't want them to force in there to go right. pick you up and then to, you know, to to stretch those limits just because you have reservations. Like you said, it's Alaska time and mm-hmm. th- th- that sort of thing is going to happen. Um, people wouldn't be in business if they ran a bad business. So um, it can be difficult for people who are used to regulating their time yeah. and everything working on a schedule to adjust to that sort of Hey, this is the this is the time frame, um, and we're going to see if it works. And if not, then we're in a tent for a day, or we're at yep. the landing strip for a day, and that's just going to be what it is. If you expect that, then things will be a lot more enjoyable because you won't think about, oh, I'm a day down, or or this mm-hmm. is happening, or I'm so mad at this people, and I'm going to go on Yelp or something. I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to put them out of business. It's just hey, just just relax. Just chill. okay. Yeah. And on a practical note, if you're planning a trip to Alaska, you're going that far. Add a couple extra days in for weather. Just do yeah. it. Um, so, anyway, man, um, like I said, I don't want to – so, I know you just got off a couple of really cool hunts. I just got off of probably the coolest hunt I've ever done in my life, um, which was way up north on the north slope um, outside of Prudhoe. After skimming your book, I'm not going to go any further than that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but amazing, dude, just being in – a vibrant, healthy ecosystem with predators. We saw multiple different species. We saw like wolves in the act of trying to kill mature caribou bulls, like muskox, grizzlies, moose. Uh, just so so cool, man! Such an immersive experience. And then we—I think I mentioned to you last time we talked, but we floated out seventy river miles on pack rafts. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's like another way of just like really experiencing the landscape going from the mountains to the flats and you know three four miles at a time and being part of the landscape quite literally um it was amazing but i wanted to and i'd like to hear just like maybe like a quick story of the couple cool hunts you've been on but i want to you know you're a thoughtful guy and i wanted to kind of not just do a you know surface level kind of um recap podcast or anything but kind of dig into some of the more philosophical, maybe kind of topics that you address in your book and stuff. Um, so that being said, I would like just a, a real quick <laughs> recap on your hunts, not like go into crazy detail, but just mm-hmm. tell me what you've been up to lately. And then, and then I'll kind of frame us going forward after that. Um, well, I'll say that so far the season started August 1st. And by this time, typically I'm, I'm anticipating or expecting to have a couple black tail bucks, uh in the freezer because that's you know southeast alaska that's that's just what you get and last year my my wife decided that she was going to hunt and she was going to kill all of her bucks in the in the alpine because she doesn't like hunting in the rut as much so it's very funny right now in our freezer we have caribou and we have two mountain goats but we don't have any black tail bucks (laughs) and that's just it goes to show that a, a the variety that we have here and then also how things don't work to plan as we've talked about yeah um it was just the first couple see uh, a couple of weeks were super rainy and then it was super hot 
Um, and then um, the the mountain goat hunt was uh, actually two of them. They were both with my with my wife and um, talking philosophically. You know, it's there's just uh, there's so many things that you can say about how it's about the experience and it's great to share it with someone, but you really can't put to words what it's like when you're up there and you know you're there with your wife or your best friend or something and you just think, man, what, what did I do to deserve this or earn this? Or you maybe think about all the different turns in your life that may have gone or taken you down a different road and your, your value system is is different and you're looking for some sort of depth or you're looking for some sort of meaning, but it's, it's a surface level thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so uh, to have those rich experiences with my wife was great. And um, both of the, uh, both of the, the, the mountain goats were, were kind of crazy situations. The first one was, I was, just behind uh i was on top of this rock and there was a buck bedded behind a uh, a rock and so i could only see the antler sticking up and so i was just on that uh on that uh buck and a goat mountain goat just feeds over right toward us and i was like oh my gosh you kidding me this goat's coming at us i got this buck pinned down behind a rock and the deal was that i was gonna shoot a buck if we saw it and abby was gonna shoot my wife she was gonna shoot the mountain goat if we saw one and so that's why we were in that situation and I kept looking over at the goat and then the buck just like stood up and took off. And I thought, gosh, dang it. And I just saw it running and I wasn't going to take a running shot, even though it was pretty close. So I handed the rifle to Abby thinking that, you know, if, if we would have switched before that, the commotion would have spooked the goat. That's kind of right. what we were afraid of. And so you stay fixed on the, on the, on the buck. And then you take that thing, you, you take that. So, uh, buck takes off goat just keeps feeding toward us and then just feeds sideways and abby makes the shot and with uh, mountain goat you're anticipating you know putting a couple shots into it because they're super yeah. super tough and so i, I kind of whispered say you know be ready for all three you know i didn't want to say shoot all three just just hammer it just put one on there you know i was just trying to keep keep calm because there are a couple times when we were mule deer hunting in wyoming where i got really excited she's like i need you to calm down okay 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 that's fine Take your time. Yeah. Take a good shot. So I just reminded her to take more than one shot. But man, she hit that thing in the heart and just dropped it. It was it was awesome. So yeah, um, that was hers on a very unique thing where we had you know almost a almost a double. And then the other one was um, the fog just moved in. We had it was the same sort of situation where there was mountain goat and uh, deer. It was crazy to see them in the same you know within a mm. hundred yards. This was a couple weeks later. Is that abnormal? <sighs> I, I've seen it a couple times, but there are people who will say that that mountain goat and deer don't cohabitate down here in in, in southeast at least, or they're, they're in the same areas, but they don't overlap a whole lot. Um, and so I kind of took that as meaning, okay, your mountain goat are going to be at maybe thirty or three thousand to thirty two hundred, you know, that that upper upper limit of the mountain, whereas mm-hmm. the deer are going to be more um, a little bit lower and right above the uh the timber and up into some of the alpine but not just same elevation so close before but it does make sense you know they're not yeah yeah so um that second one saw both and then the fog came in and so we're just kind of meandering through these chutes and these these uh, snow patches and climbing up some rocks uh in the fog to close the distance but then rather than lift the fog stayed and so we're kind of meandering a little bit now that we can't go any further because I don't really know where we're at. It starts raining, put the tarp over both of us, and I'm pissed and just upset <laughs> that we're going to lose both. We glassed up bucks and we got goats, and I, I even said something like, "Well, we u- used up all of our luck on on your goat." I didn't want to make make her feel bad, but like we don't have that sort of luck. We're not going to get lucky twice in a row. 
Uh, it's just not going to happen. So I'm frustrated. Um, she said, we've come all this way. Let's just look over the edge. And so I go and I look over the edge and it's not there. So I decided to go to the left just a little bit more, about 20 more yards. And the thing is bedded down and the mountain goat stands up like 20 yards from me. I'm thinking, oh my what in the world? So I, I, I've only taken one standing shot in my life before. And that was a, a, a buck that was coming right at me. Just had mm-hmm. no idea what was going on. It was during rut and I'd, I'd called and it was coming right at me. Um, so this was a mountain goat shot. So I stand up, shoot it, and it falls down and I get ready to put another one in it. So I kneel down, take another one and, uh, kill it. And it was, it was crazy. And so then I, that is wild. I'm thinking, you know, I, you had a bad attitude. I had a tantrum on the mountain with my <laughs> wife, you know, gosh, dang it. You know, you, 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 I love it. I appreciate it. It's such a wonderful experience. And then I stink and almost threw a tantrum, yeah. but, um, you know, then, then it cleared and, um, and this I get it real deep, but I, I thought about when it cleared and it was wonderful and it was beautiful. And I was actually talking to my wife. I said, you know, I get so stressed out. I remember when like everything seemed to go wrong for my dad when we moved up here. He got a commercial fishing uh, permit for halibut and um, we bought a boat and it had to inboard and it sucked and it was terrible. And the, the boat kept breaking down and um, never caught any halibut. It was just miserable everything he tried to do to make the alaska life adventurous didn't work and all of his mm. friends were you know some of them had pilot's license and um they were commercial fishermen during the summer and they were all teachers too but they commercial fished during the summer and so mm. it just seemed like nothing really went right for my dad and i i wonder if he had had regretted moving us there um i know he he knew that we had a lot of fun but he just had it dialed in in Colorado and Nebraska and Wyoming, like those areas. He had the lake program down. He liked to hunt whitetail, um, just had it dialed in. And I think it was tough for him up there and um, just being – just nothing went right. And I saw him get frustrated a whole lot. And I, I had this very honest moment with my wife when I'm talking about how I just I, – I saw dad get frustrated so much. And I just think that there's this pending – doom or like it's not going to work out and so i'm sorry that i get so frustrated but Hmm. uh, then i kind of felt this feeling that you know it's one of those like dad things was there i guess as soon as the the goat was there and then the weather cleared it was like see jeff it's going to be okay you know my dad passed a while ago but you know you still have those moments where it's just um you think about how proud he would be of who you are and who you became and so yeah. rather than think about all the memories and all the things that he hasn't seen, like he never met my wife, I went, my wife uh, met my wife after uh, he passed. But to think in that moment that, you know, he would be proud and I could be happy knowing that he would be proud and he, and he would be excited and he would, he would love Ab and he would love uh, the, the manna that I became. And so um, those sort of memories are really, I don't think about what I don't have anymore. I think about what I had and I think about the best of him living on in me. And those I, I've had those moments a couple of times this year Yeah. and hopefully it'll help me next year if I, or later on this year, if I get, start to get frustrated again, I'll get that frame of reference or frame of mind. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It almost, it almost reminds me of like an immigrant story, even obviously, you know, Alaska's still America, but um, just that struggle of like coming to a completely, I mean, it's, it's very similar to being in a foreign country when you're in a lot like, you know what I mean? So, um, but he kind of yeah, paved people, that way for you. Yeah. People have, uh, a couple more years experience when they moved up and they, they bought their, their fishing boat and, you know, and they were just crushing it. And I remember my teachers and that was the cool thing about growing up in on Prince of Wales is that all my teachers had these really exciting lives 
And that made mm-hmm. me think that I wanted an exciting life. And then as a teacher, I saw the value in having teachers who had lives and yeah. me thinking, okay, rather than this person knows a lot about English and they can tell you a lot about semicolons, it's more, <laughs> this person's a human being. This person has a life and their job they take seriously and they treat it as their chosen career or their, what they've chosen to do with their life and the purpose mm-hmm. that they have in their life. But then also they have a purpose outside of it too. And the better totally. they have, the better their life is outside of work, the better they're going to be at work. And so I think showing that to to students, and I talked to them, um, I was gone all of last week. So they had a sub, like the third week of school, they had a sub. And so I had a week and a half to establish to them that, hey, I'm, I'm here to be a teacher. But also my values tell me that, hey, I'm going to use all my vacation time for the year. And I'm going to hunt with my wife and a friend because this is a huge experience. This is a good experience. This is a fun experience. And yeah. when I get back, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be present. But, you know, these sort of things are really, really important to me. And so when you choose your career, choose a career that allows you to have some vacation time and choose yeah. people that uh, want to do some great things. So that caribou hunt was uh, was awesome in um, just uh, just being a meat packer for a friend. And yeah. um, I spent, just like you said, I spent the first day in the snow, you know, and we had to wait, had to wait, had to wait, but, uh, cleared, did a ton of hiking through the snow. There was about six inches of snow and made our way through it, but just beautiful. Yeah. And when you get to interior Alaska and you saw this on the North slope, it reminds me a lot of, of Wyoming in that it's just this barren land with kind of rolling Hills a little bit, not much vegetation. If you look really closely, you see obviously that we're talking tussocks and we're talking to willows and we're not talking uh, sagebrush, but it definitely has that open expanse, Mm. endless expanse feel. Um, And then you see muskox, you're like, okay, we're not in Wyoming, (laughs) but um, (laughs) just to, just to be in, in those, in that sort of area. And as a different, um, you know, different challenge. You know, so the mm-hmm. last three weekends, it was mountain goat, non-successful mountain goat, successful. And then I'm up in interior Alaska on a, on a caribou hunt. And I thought, man, my life is unbelievable. This is so great. I'm a, I'm a high school teacher who, you know, we had to save a lot of money to be able to do this. And this is just, man, it's so great. And so yeah. you come back from that uh, refreshed and I didn't even pull the trigger. I had a moose tag, but uh, he had the, my buddy Ryan had the caribou tag and shot an awesome bull. Yeah. It was a great um, bull. And it was just, Unbelievable. We got 185 pounds of meat. So it was just wow, tons dude. of meat. And I had to do the shuffle pack where you go three miles with the meat, drop it off. And is that with bones or no? That was no without bones. Jeez, dude. Because yeah, mine, when I checked body. my meat on the airplane, it was just, it was the four quarters, you know, rib meat, tenderloins, neck meat. But it was right at 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. And so that was a bit, and, and it was not a small caribou. It was a mature bull. It wasn't like a giant, but it was a mature mm-hmm. bull. And so that must have been a hoss. It was it was crazy. I, I thought, okay, it looks big. And some of these some of these you you can't tell how big they are because the antlers are big or they look big because they have a kind of a small body, but like everything was magnified. It was just like the the scale was bigger. Hmm. So when we walked up on it, I thought, what the heck is this thing? Yeah. This thing is monsters. And Abby was it a barren ground? Some... What's that? Was it a barren ground caribou? Do you know? Um I can't tell exactly where and and what um because there's okay. limitations for uh, caribou's there's some spots where you can hunt but it's becoming more and more limited with uh with closures and yeah in, uh, certain areas and, and it's it's shockingly difficult to find uh really good caribou spots uh, especially if um 
I mean, if you got a budget, then or you save up, then you can make some stuff happen. But uh, between yeah. closures and and pressure, it's becoming pretty pretty crazy. But yeah, it was a it was a huge one. Um, but uh, it was fun to to pack that out. You know, it was the weather was good. Of course, if had it been raining, it would have been a totally different story. But you know, we mm-hmm. would have done it. Uh, the last mile, it was uh, it was raining, but we were seven miles from from where we uh, need to get it extracted. So it was yeah, uh, that's legit. It was a pretty good shuffle. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we had some. I think the second bull we shot was. Um, first of all, I was very surprised by the body size on mine. Um, like it was bigger than I was expecting. It was like almost like a cow elk, mm-hmm. and. Um, and yeah, and then you know, obviously the tussocks makes it a little harder. And the second bull we shot, we had about a five and a half mile pack out and a river crossing in there, and that was on day seven. And um, it's uh, it's tough, but it was it was an amazing trip, man. Um, How big was the river crossing? I, I was so afraid of those, man. I, I hate like you bring your crocs, you do that, but all it takes is one slip. All it yes. takes is something, and then oh man, it's. Was, and then we we were doing this last week, so this is mid September. You know, it's yeah. like up on the north oh, yeah. slope. It's it's chilly. It's you cold. You fall in. That's a bad situation. Kids know. Yeah, it's just in the back <laughs> of your head, and you never you never want to be so worried about it that you stop running your program. But yeah. at the same time, it's something you got to be wary of. You can't just full send that because exactly like the full send up there. Like it's it's not just a matter of finding some cell phone reception and getting picked up. It's like right. Coast Guard. It's a real full on yes uh deal so the the yeah and we didn't even have a transporter coming for us it was on us to get out so um so it was interesting on the on day six we had been seeing these bulls across the river and we tried in the morning to get across on foot and we're like we just it's not happening and so then we got up on a glassing point about a mile or two the other way and then we could see back to the river and we kind of could see a spot where it looked a little easier to cross so then that afternoon we said, all right, we got to see again if it's possible. And it was like, it was a big river, but it had like small braids, you know? Mm-hmm. And so my buddy slash cameraman, you know, he's still in, I want to fill my tag mode. I'm in like my tags filled preservation, get out of here safely mode. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it was like 7 PM on day six. It was kind of cold. It had been a long day and he like, he somehow found a way to get across, um, going to about like just under the knee a couple times depth. Mm. And I was like, dude, I'm, I'm staying right here and I shot of you, but I, I'm not doing that tonight. I just did not want to get my boots wet. Mm. And, uh, if, if he had seen a bull, I would have been over there. But anyway, the next morning, uh, it was the last day and we knew that's where the bulls were. So I was like, uh, I'm in, man. Let's do it. And we, we ended up getting across without getting wet, and it was fine. So um, we just had to be really careful about exactly where we went and, and just being super careful. But um, it wasn't too sketch. But um, it just added to a little bit of the challenge of the pack out and everything. But amazing trip, man. Um, who who so, uh, was your cameraman? Because I know you've worked with uh, Luke Dusenberry, right? Yeah, this, this was actually um, – Luke's my favorite, to be honest. I love Luke. Um, <laughs> but uh, – I got another hunt with him coming up in Oregon in a couple of weeks. But um, this one was a friend of Luke's that he actually referred to me because Luke wasn't able to come on this one. Um, his name is John Bash, mm-hmm. and um, he's got a production company. He's done some work with Loophold, and um, he works in lots of different production and um, not just outdoor. But, um, yeah, it was, a good, it was a good trip, man. And I kind of like to work out with my camera guys if it's available to where they can get a tag as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just adds more, more to the hunt, more fun, more content. 
um, <laughs> more meat, uh, you know. Um, and usually they cut me a deal if they're able to hunt too. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so, that's always uh, good. Yeah, yeah, some of those guys are are great. I had Luke on the podcast and just okay. great to talk to and listen to. And they're obviously extremely creative, and so it's fun to just hear, you know, the way they see things, just how good yeah. they are at their at their thing. Anytime you're looking at someone who can just crush the thing, yeah, it's admirable. You and know, like and how good and how dialed in they are and how creative they are and how rather than this is the one way to do it, this is how I choose to do it, and this is my creative spin on it. And it's just it's great to talk to those sort of people who put yeah. so much time into it because it's not something you can just pick up and do. I try I've tried to do that and I threw together a little a little video about uh, the caribou hunt and it's you, you gotta be on it. You always gotta be thinking about oh, angles yeah. and lighting and everything and it's um it's it's crazy. It's a whole other aspect to it and um and you know those like Luke for example he's very unique in that like it's already like very unique to see someone who's put ten thousand hours in the backcountry hunting but it's even like more unique to find someone who's like spent their ten thousand hours in the backcountry observing people hunt and like mm-hmm. filming it so like I always even though like in terms of trigger time he's not like super experienced hunter. He's like hunted with some of the best hunters in the world and spent like tons of time observing different hunters and styles. And so his, his, um, you know, his input on hunts is very valuable as well. And that's another thing that I've been fortunate. Another guy who's doing another hunt with me and did my Montana mule deer hunt with me last year, kid named Logan Romney, um, great videographer, but killer hunter, man. Like Mm. he helped me so much on this hunt for this mule deer right here. Um, yeah, I'll be honest. I don't know if I would have killed that deer if I was with a cameraman that didn't know how to deer hunt. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. he helped me so much, but anyway, um, I do want to kind of get us on to what I want to talk about a little bit, even though we could probably just sit here and shoot the breeze forever. But so your book, um, beyond the hunt, um, like I said, I just bought it on Kindle like this morning full transparency (laughs) but i did get a chance to like skim it a little bit um and um and so kind of you're a literature teacher right yeah english English, english journalism adventure survival lit all right so i'm going to use a word here that my english teacher would be proud of the light motif that i'm going for here (laughs) is um i sense in you this sort of um tension as most good protagonists have, uh, between, um, you know, the, you kind of have like two camps, I would say almost, if you want to make it like really black and white, you kind of have like, and I have friends like this that are kind of like the purists who like think like, you know, anything on social media, any kind of influence, like influencer is a four letter word. Um, they hate social media, hate content creation. It's all garbage. They're all a bunch of criminals. They're all making our sport worse and terrible and da, 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 da. And then you have, you know, the people on the other side of that spectrum. And then you have people like me, hopefully, and, and you, I think, who who want to tell stories just like hunters have been doing since we've been putting petroglyphs on cave walls, coming back and telling stories of our hunts, um, and want to do it right and do it authentically and help the sport and and really just do what we love and share it you know, through our lens or our pen or whatever it may be. So I do sense this kind of tension in the, in you as like, I feel like you're kind of a purist, but at the same time, you're also a content creator. 
<laughs> and so yeah, that's, that's that's the the toughest thing that's that and i i keep going back to it um and and thinking about it because you know growing up on prince of wales island you know it, fishing was the thing and then hunting was the thing there wasn't a separate market for making that your living or there wasn't i can use this i can leverage my experience to make money or anything else it was just hunting for the sake of hunting this is how you got your food this is how you got your mm -hmm. how you got your fish so when i started writing about the outdoors i started thinking okay this is awesome to be able to share the experience tell the stories back in the day the only people who were allowed to tell the stories because of the gatekeepers were the best of the best or the most connected so now with the internet and with um you know social media it's the entire story of the american hunter can be told which is great mm -hmm. but at the same time there's a lot of content out there that i think sometimes we can get caught up in branding and my name is a brand and for some people it can erode exactly the point that got them out there in the first place um there's that have you seen the movie blue chips it's a 90s movie mm -hmm. with shack and um well <laughs> There's a the coach goes to confront a uh, the coach goes to confront a player who took money to uh, to shave points in a game. Hmm. And the coach says, you took the purest thing in your life and you corrupted it. Hmm. And so that kind of I think about that sometimes. And I overthink about it sometimes, too, um, that if I get to the point where I'm trying to brand more than I'm enjoying the experience and I'm just like slapping on this sort of, oh, it's about the experience when I'm more upset that i didn't get anything because then i can't share it then i can't get likes it's just eroding my love for hunting or my yeah. or love my or, or my my passion for fishing and um i've written about fishing more than i have about hunting and i'm thinking okay well what'll sell is telling people exactly where to go but mm. then i'm corking myself because i'm telling people to go to this spot that i know a lot about and then i'm inviting people to come to my spot and then i'm ruining my spot or i'm ruining the spot of the kid just like me who remembers going to the river as a kid and then people from down south coming up and crossing our lines and and telling at us to to get out of the way and um you know there's always stories of, of local kids who are getting pushed off the river by adults who paid a good money to be up there to fish hmm. and you know so i i don't I, that, that those are some of my childhood memories and i don't like that so while i'm talking about alaska i'm writing about alaska and i don't want to <clears throat> prevent people from having great experiences but at the same time you know i want to tell the story so there's i think it's an ever-present conflict and an ever-present maybe kind of just staying and undulating <clears throat> in, a, in a good safe zone rather than uh being too caught up and or frustrated with with branding yeah um or, or or telling all the secrets and telling people exactly where to go for sure um, and i think it keeps it that much more real and you use the word authentic you know you're doing this because you enjoy it and you love it. And you have an opportunity to do some great things. If you get too caught up in the money and the marketing and, and scaling, I think that, mm -hmm. you know, it, it can kind of lose its, its, its fun. And I think there's, there's some content creators that I'm not going to use any names, but you just kind of get a feel that, Oh, this is about branding and scaling and you can do whatever you want because it's, you know, it's, you're, it's legal, <clears throat> but it's just not my particular brand and I don't want to be the type of person who's anything for the content, anything for the shot, anything for the shot. Cause then you put extra 100%. stress on it. So, um, but again, it's, and I, I mentioned that in the book a couple of times that just because I don't like something doesn't mean it's bad. Um, yeah. 
Right. And there are th- some things to to think about now with the amount of closures that are happening across the, the U.S. And the idea that I don't want to hunt, but I get that you want to hunt has become I don't want to hunt and you shouldn't be able to hunt either. Yeah. And so the amount of social media content that's being provided for those people to say this is why you shouldn't hunt. This is what a hunter is. You know, that's we're feeding. We're feeding the anti-hunting group, which yeah. is a very motivated and very financially backed uh force and so i think it behooves us to think about what our online persona is it it benefits us to think about how we're representing hunting Mm -hmm. um and again no judgment i absolutely not but i think it's just we should maybe reflect you know and i'm not gonna so i just use that as a personal thing i'm going to reflect um is this beneficial is this eroding what i love to do is this providing some sort of anti-hunting um, fodder? So, yeah. but yeah, I, I don't yeah. think you come away from my book with any sort of answer, which is good. <laughs> it's just stuff to think about and tell some stories and talk about the industry and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, um, and you sum it up pretty nice in your in your intro to the book too. And um, one that you know, when you're talking about eroding what you love and stuff, I mean, for me. I've been, so I have a TV background, so, and I, and I love documenting things. So that's part of the enjoyment for me. It like, to me, like adds to the enjoyment. And like, since I've been Western hunting, I've been filming it. The only trip I, Western hunting trip I've been on that I haven't filmed was the first one I ever did. Um, and now it's just like, it's just a part of the process. And I love that part of the process. Um, I see, I see a lot of guys, not a lot, but I see some guys sometimes on my social media, sending me messages, asking questions or saying, um, and I get this sense that it's like, they feel like they, they need to document their hunt. Like, Mm -hmm. like they should be taking a camera with them or else it didn't happen or it's not cool or it's not good or whatever. And, and I'm like, just check your motives if you want to like take a film of your hunt and share with your friends or put it on youtube or i don't know if you aspire to do a you know tv show or film cool like i love it Mm -hmm. i'm not trying to talk you out of it but i feel like there's a lot of like average joe hunters who like maybe feel that they like need to get a camera and film it because that's what you do now or something and and that's very i think erosive and so you know i'll when these guys like that and i get that sense i'll answer their questions but i usually end it with like just have fun man like and yeah. and remember what your motives are like do, are you really trying to do this are you aspiring to do this are you you know what what's your motives for filming it and if you're not going to have fun filming it and that's going to ruin it just don't do it like yeah and the other thing you mentioned too is like you know alaska like that was your way of getting food but in another way, like for guys like me, I know it's like a lot of people have this negative connotation for like professional hunters or like trying to make your living from hunting or whatever. But, um, in a roundabout way, um, of course, obviously literally I still do eat the meat I kill and my family does like we eat almost exclusively wild game meat. Um, but also it's kind of a way of quote unquote getting your food. If you're, you know, (laughs) paying your bills, uh, or trying to, um, through creating content, but doing it, like you said, responsibly, ethically, and well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I think, again, once again, just to stress the fact that I do not believe that I am any sort of moral authority and nothing in my book <laughs> is anything of the sort. Um, but I think I agree with what with what you said there. And I think there's a difference between someone who's excited about telling stories. I want to write stories. I want to uh, photograph stories. I want to I want to film stories and someone who thinks, oh, I can make a lot of money killing animals. I'm going to go kill one of everything, <laughs> yeah, that's not put great. them on the wall, get all these slams, and I can make money doing it. And I I think that kind of, it can kind of show. It's it's hard to to pave over or hide those motives. Um, but, uh, you know, again, do do what you want. You know, but there's not that much legal. money in it. I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, man, like, I don't, I know there there are content creators that like are more cringy than others. There are guys. There are definitely I can think of some people who like have a track record of breaking laws and stuff like that, and that's obviously not right. But um, you know, I think for the most part, people who are the the ones I know, and even ones that get a bad rap a lot of times, just genuinely love to hunt and want mm-hmm. to do what they love and provide for their families at the same time i don't really know people who are like i just want to go kill and i can make money because there's not that much money in it (laughs) just be frank yeah i think the perception is the the money thing but also the desire to leave the job that's unfulfilling so to be able to have a job where Mm -hmm. you feel fulfilled and there's a lot of people who don't feel that and so they see this as okay i got to make a name for myself because i I hate my existence and so i'm going to do this and you know you look at suicide rates among um white males you know or just just men in general you know and and how lonely and unfulfilled and how there's so many promises that have been made to to address the middle class and help the middle class but it just never comes and that's it's across the board all all backgrounds all ethnicities it just never happens and so people are looking for something to be able to to provide value uh, something that's that's fun that that's that's an escape from their from the the monotony of their lives and so if they see that they can be noticed or looking for that validation of hey man i'm going to go out there i'm going to do all this sort of stuff and it might not be it could be a social currency as much as it's a financial currency and i think that's something that that social media is really bringing out in us in a, in a bad way also a good way because social media connects so many people and it's so great to be able to uh, connect with people like we met over social media, you know, yeah. it's just such a great way to positively impact your day. Um, but at the same time, it also compares you and your life to everybody else who seems to be having a better one. And in the same way that it affects the teenagers that I have in class, you know, I think adults, it's the same thing. You're 35 years old and this person's going on these great adventures and they're doing these things and man, they're getting sponsorships. They're doing whatever. For sure. And my life sucks. I, I, I kind of enjoy my job. I, I guess I kind of like it, but I would love to be able to, you know, go hunting. And I was talking with Andrew McKean from uh, Outdoor Life and there are people who like the mentorship thing can be very difficult to find. You might be mm-hmm. looking at content and you want to go hunting, but you don't know anybody who actually hunts. And so reaching out can be a very difficult thing. I don't know anything totally. about hunting. All I know is about, you know, what, what I've seen on meat eater or on YouTube and you don't have that depth to the mentorship. You don't have the depth to the meaning and someone to really instruct you in the ways. And I don't think a lot of men might reach out for that. Um, my wife asks a ton of questions. You know, she doesn't, you know, there's, it's very, there's a, it's a very welcoming and inviting environment. I think, I, I don't know, but, 
um, it, it seems for women, it's, it's a great thing. They're, they're welcomed for sure. And, and, you know, they're willing to ask questions and yeah, sure. You know, let's, let's, let's get this going. Whereas men tend to be a little bit more, you know, reserved, out. uh, in, in, yeah. in the most, in the most case. So I think they have a desire to go hunting, but no one's there to show them. No one's there to mentor them if they didn't have a, an uncle or a dad or, or, or a friend to help them out. So, yeah. um, I think that plays into it. And so I think that you don't have the refined ethics, and so you just go out there and it's just about blasting. It's just about whatever. And sometimes people share things out of ignorance. It's not that they are ignorant. It's just, I, I didn't know anything. I didn't know that this is not what you do. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people, their story is mistold or misrepresented because of that. And I feel somewhat bad just because they didn't have a mentor. This is someone who's just kind of blindly f- trying to find something to validate or to, to find some sort of meaning. And they want to escape their life and have these great experiences because it seems like, everybody has points in all these states they're doing all these hunts and i want to get in get, get in on that um but just not having that foundation and, and, and people and good people to talk to and, and think about things and you know make that season last the entire year because you're telling stories and you're watching stories and you know these people you're not just comparing yourself to other people who get to yeah. do that for a living yeah i guess the the difference between medicine and poison is the dose right yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. As far as social media goes, and everything, but yeah, and you talk about like you know making a name for yourself, and um, and you know I definitely feel that tension too, um, because you know I've, obviously I've been hunting my whole life, but Western hunting is very new to me. You know, relatively speaking, probably four years, I guess now, um, and so it's been a huge learning curve for me, and that's kind of part of um, my, I don't know, my voice, I guess, in the space as a podcaster and as all my TV shows kind of just being very real, like that I'm new, I'm learning as I go, it's a progression, but at the same time, it's weird. Cause, um, you know, you don't want to shoot a tiny little buck and make a TV episode about it, which I did. And if when you're listening to this, when this airs, you can go to my YouTube channel and watch uh, my film, my first mule deer ever. I was a hunt with Luke Dusenberry, his first mule deer ever. We both tagged out on a really tough mountain mule deer hunt, you know, public land. I e-scouted it from Virginia. We went in, you know, into a spot where we were locked in. We couldn't really move. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we hunted like five days without seeing a single buck. And then, you know, I saw a legal buck. I wanted to fill my tag. It was my first mule deer ever. I wanted some meat and I went after it and I shot it and it's a tiny little deer and I don't care. And, but still, unfortunately I have to have that voice in the back of my head. Like, and, and the episodes already aired on sportsman channel several times. Uh, it's a great episode. And then like I said, a, two days later, he shoots his first mule deer, which is just a little bit bigger, same age, tiny little deer. Um, and it's unfortunate because I had to have this struggle, like, do I release this on YouTube? Do I open myself mm-hmm. up to the hate I'm going to get on the comment section for shooting a tiny deer? And I was like, you know what? No, this is really tough. This is about progression, authenticity. Um, anyone who wants to hate on this as a new Western hunter with my level of experience on like a 10 out of 10 difficulty hunt, uh, go for it. Like, I, I would like to see you do this. But anyway, that's not what it's about. But it's just unfortunate that I had to even have that struggle and and I get it from a conservation standpoint like would I would I shoot that same deer now no but I had that first mule deer under my belt so things are different now but it's just unfortunate that I had to like I almost didn't release it on YouTube cuz I was like 
I don't want to be looked at a certain way, but I decided, no, this is real. This is hunting. This is about progression, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of people I think who are, who self-censor or don't think that they're good enough. So they never release anything. And that's the same thing with, with writing or any sort of creative, anything you make something, you create something, you don't think it's good enough. And so you never publish it. You never put it out there, which means that you're, you're going to be in the habit of never doing anything. Well, it's not right yet. It's not perfect yet. Yep. I don't know who said it, but they said that, uh, uh, perfectionism is an excuse for insecurity. So you're saying that you're a perfectionist, mm -hmm. but really the problem is that you're insecure and that's not obviously <laughs> the case with everybody. Um, but putting stuff out there in those first ones, when I was talking with Luke, I was like, dude, is there some like old footage out there of some of your first stuff? And he said, yeah, you know, and it's out there and you can check it out on the YouTube. And most cameramen are like that. Most, they have that, but oh, they yeah. were willing to push that first stuff out when it wasn't really good. And I look back at some of the first columns I wrote and I think, oh my gosh, I got paid for that. That's horrible. <laughs> it's an unrefined thought or the storytelling is awkward or bad. And just, you know, over, over time, you just get better at it, but you have to start. Same thing with podcasting. You know, mm -hmm. your first podcasts are going to be okay, you know, and then after a while they're going to get better, but you have to get to episode a hundred, you know, if, if, if yeah. one, one is going to be worse. And then even in, in, in between, you're going to have some that are better than others. Um, but that's just, that's just part of it. And I think a couple of people or, or some people out there that, um, start out they don't think they're good enough they're, their story's not worth telling and they never get past they're they're waiting for that huge buck and once they shoot the huge buck then they'll share but yeah. you know you got to tell the real story because that's that's what happens you don't start off with only shooting trophies you know no one goes uh no one bats a thousand percent out there so telling those stories of yeah i went out there and i didn't get anything and mm -hmm. up here there's I'll go you know, 40 or 50 days, you know, uh, per year and maybe get two or three bucks, which means my batting average is horrible, but man, it was like 40 some extra days of great experience. So oh, if yeah. you can do that, then that's great. So that's not an indication of, of how bad a hunter I am. It's, it's an indication of how often I'm out there hunting with my wife in the Alpine and then in the rut. It's just, it's great. It's, it's indicative of a really good life, not just uh poor shooting results. Yeah. Yeah, and those those hunts where you don't kill, honestly, you usually end up learning more uh, about the than when you do. But um, I don't know. Something else I wanted to ask you about. Um, I'm not sure if we touched on it on the episode I was on on your show or not. But um, so okay, there's there's been this. Well, I think for a long time, we did a bad job in terms of hunting media and maybe it was too much about the kill or, or whatever. Um, and then now it's almost like there's been like a pendulum swing to where it's like, people are afraid to like talk about killing. It's like, it has to be a harvest or, or even, I even see like in some of the newer films coming out from some of the bigger companies that are like trying to market towards non-hunters which i understand and there's a place for that um but like of like intentionally not showing kill shots or like maybe intentionally showing them very zoomed out and like very just downplaying it i don't know i, I like i said i see the place for it i'm not saying it's bad um i personally kind of see it as like maybe a slippery slope like okay we're not gonna go sh kill show kill shots and then I don't know, a couple of years, maybe it's, all right, well, let's just, let's just go hiking and like do some wildlife photography, you know, <laughs> it's like, okay. And then, um, so, and so, you know, I'm just going to say it like, yes, hunting is about more than killing. 
you know, you're taking a seven day, for example, this last trip I was on, seven days in this pristine wildlife, you know, ecosystem, nine days total, I guess, including travel days. Um, and then the kill aspect of it's about 30 minutes maximum of that. Um, and so it's not about that. It's a full experience. But I'm going to go ahead and say it. I enjoy killing animals. Sorry if that offends you. But, like, that's, I mean, that's hunting. It's killing animals. Um, is that the only part? No. But we shouldn't be afraid of saying that, I don't think. So, um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's... Our, our terminology has changed and it's ironic that the terminology has changed and yet hunter approval is dropping. You know, we, we, we've tried to soften some things a little bit and try to be a little bit more, I guess maybe less Quentin Tarantino with our, uh, with our kill shot <laughs> compilation with our, with our films. And yet it hasn't really had the intended result. Um, I think it's really good to be self-aware. I think self-awareness is an important thing to have across all different aspects. And I think, there is a unique style and, you know, in literature and film and everything, you kind of go back, like you said, with the pendulum and there's different styles and responses. And so I think the style of telling the entire story and not making it focus necessarily on uh, this bullet ate him up, you know, maybe getting away from that a little bit is a stylistic choice, but there's still people who out there who do it. And that's, you know, your, your creative, whatever you want to do. Um, But yeah, I think, pretending that it's not brutal pretending that it's not taking a life i think is is disingenuous so i don't Mm -hmm. think we'll get to the point where we're not showing the kill shot but i think stylistically not focusing on that and i think that represents this um it is about getting meat we got meat but if i say that it's about the experience then the content that it put out there is going to be more about the experience and it's it's you know going to be what it is and there are going to be some people who are going to shoot some just beautiful films that you know aren't focused on the kill shot um people that will film some great tasteful things that are about the kill shot so it's it's cool that we have the opportunity to individually you know create things that are focused on what we want to focus on but i do i do agree that that pretending that it's not brutal pretending that it's not taking a life is is somewhat disingenuous but again you people need to do what they want they can however they want to creatively tell the story but um yeah. i think self-censoring is is not good in any regard um i think trying to or pretend that it's not a serious thing just to attract or to scale or to 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 attract more non-hunters um mm-hmm. i think we just got to kind of do the thing in, in a realistic way without putting it in people's faces um, or at least the content that I do. But uh, yeah, that, that's yeah. an interesting question going forward to see what the content's going to look like in five to 10 years, where we're going to be able to hunt, you know, what it's going to look like. And um, yeah, who, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen a film recently where I don't know 100% it was intentional, but there's a whole film about a sheep hunt and there was no kill shot. And I think very few, like even pack out shots. Um, and I get it. Like the film was actually a really good film. It was about a relationship and the story was great. Um, I'm just like, and, and, you know, maybe it was just happened really fast and they couldn't get it or whatever. But, um, I mean, I, I think if you're intentionally editing out the killing part of a hunting film, that's something's off there to me. Um, anyway, 
Um, okay, here's an interesting question for you. We're coming up on our time here, but um, are you familiar with a SWOT analysis, S-W-O-T? No. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Okay. You could break it down to just like opportunities and threats or strengths and weaknesses, but um, the hunting industry now, what are some things that are strengths and opportunities and kind of the way we're headed as creators, as hunters, and what are some things that are weaknesses or threats that you see? Um, I, I mentioned this in the book a little bit. It's just kind of an annoying thing. Whenever you're looking for new gear, you go online and you see people who have given something four stars and the comment is, just got it in the mail, really excited to use it. I'm like, gosh dang it, that doesn't <laughs> tell me anything. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. So I, I, it's hard for me to trust reviews and stuff because you got those people who are so excited to have their five-star review shared on social media <laughs> or whatever that you're not getting really good feedback, you know? And so and that, that that just irritates me and I, I don't trust that. So I think, um, you know, real feedback on, on, on gear and stuff not only helps your fellow hunter, but it also helps the the company. So if there's something that the company is, is putting out there that, you know, isn't very good, mm-hmm. having this sort of feedback, this honest feedback that is useful can help in the next iteration. Sometimes it's a matter of like, if there's a pair of pants that, that fits me poorly, but fits someone else. Great. I can say why, well, they don't happen to fit me. It's not that the pant is designed wrong. It's just, you know, maybe I'm, I'm 6'2 and 190, and so maybe it's just a little bit off because large is large. It's so kind of ambiguous, and it fits different yeah. people different ways. And so that sort of feedback on things, um, I think that can kind of go across everything. We learn and grow when we get some some positive or, or good feedback and not necessarily positive. Um, so I think listening to and and self-reflecting is a huge thing that could go across the boards when it when it comes to products, when it comes to uh, film when it comes to writing all that stuff mm. um having people that you know you can talk to and, and listen to and say well, you know what do you think about this and what do you think about that i think it just makes the content better it doesn't mean that you have to change it because you know this great writer said you know you need to change this or this great um film you talk to luke Duesenberry and you say oh i gotta change everything because uh luke is the authority and everything he says is right and so i have to make my creativity look like his but being able to reach out and talk to people and and think about these things, I think that's going to make writing better. It's going to make the the films better. It's going to make products better. It's going to make so much stuff when we have good, honest conversations, and we're not just, you know, oh that's awesome, five stars. Yeah. You know, oh great film, perfect film. Yeah. On the flip side of that, being unnecessarily negative, or you know, if you're chastising someone for taking a small mule deer, well, you don't know a situation. You know, all you do is, is you see this and you see, oh, it's a desperate person in their show and they're, well, they can afford like, whoa, whoa, you're taking all this hate that you have because you don't have a show or you don't have this or your <laughs> life, you know, you're upset because of someone at work and you're taking that out on a fellow hunter. And that's not yeah. at all productive. And going forward, we're going to need us to be congealed and on the same page as much as possible. Um, it doesn't mean we're all going to agree with everything, but you know, just self-reflecting and, and just being able to articulate ourselves and not be intentionally antagonistic toward anti-hunters. I think that's going to be huge going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said before, like another strength that we have is just the, with the gatekeepers gone, we're able to tell the entire story. It's not just limited to a few voices in the big magazines, like it was in the, you know, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, kind of the, mm-hmm. the golden age of the outdoor, you know, those old field and stream and outdoor life covers are pretty, pretty awesome but the writing is beautiful 
Um, now it's, you're getting all stories, you're getting kids stories, you're getting, um, you know, under underserved uh it's just so much there's so much and the whole Mm -hmm. story is out there and that's that's such a strength and that's so inviting and it should not feel as intimidating as it is for for some people um you know start your podcast start a blog you know start filming clumsy stuff just get it out there you know Mm -hmm. i think that's going to be a strength going forward and um you know if we exercise some self-reflection if we're helpful to other people and we have good conversations with people not just what, how can I leverage this conversation? How can I get something out of you? Or, you know, I, I think that just becomes kind of, kind of gross, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, meaningful conversations and, and looking for opportunities to mentor other people, um, I think will be huge going forward. Awesome, man. Well, there's definitely more I'd love to talk to you about. Maybe we can do another one sometime, but I know you gotta get to work. Um, so, um, you know, like I said, guys, check out Jeff's podcast, also his books. Um, like I said, I only got a chance to skim about half of your book, but I could tell already I want to read the rest of it. So, um, <laughs> so tell people where they can find your stuff and uh, and hear more from you. So I recently changed my podcast from the mediocre Alaskan to On Step Alaska because I started to disagree with the mediocre being a, like the rallying cry of this current generation, where it's like it's just okay to be soft and it's okay to be weak. I was like, okay, well. When I started my podcast in 2017, it was kind of a joke towards, you know, I'm just an ordinary Alaska person. You know, I'm not going to pretend to be like some mega or awesome hunter. I'm just going to be an ordinary person. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it became, I actually, my wife had a mediocre Alaskan sticker um, on her laptop or something. And, and someone said, what's this with, what's with this generation and being mediocre? And she's like, well, that's not what it means. It's kind of a joke. So I was like, All right, I got to, I got to change that. So yeah. on step Alaska is the name of the podcast on step Alaska.com is where you can buy uh, my book, uh, beyond the hunt. Um, my other book, a miserable paradise life in Southeast Alaska is also available there. Uh, they're both also on Amazon, um, at Alaska Lun is the social media. And, yeah. um, yeah, I got it. my book on Kindle, so that's available too. Oh, for perfect. People. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, thanks again. This has been awesome and, um, good talking to you and stay in touch, man. And you need to start doing film reviews again. Oh yeah, I, I did a couple of those, and then I was like, ah, man, I, all right, I don't know what else to say because a lot of this. St- and then I, you start thinking about again, just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's bad. And yeah. So you know, yeah, I don't know. We'll, but it's uh, it's subjective, so. But anyway, yeah. Cool, man. Thanks again, and uh, yeah, stay in touch. We'll talk soon, buddy. Sounds good. Thanks, man. All right. Later. Thanks, dude. That was great. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, good conversation. It flew by. Yeah, sure did. Sure did. I can <laughs> smell right. the bacon, so my wife is making bacon. Okay. I'm excited about that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, You're do lucky you need man. pictures or anything, or what? The, um, what yeah, at? if you got, I usually take them off people's Instagram, but if you don't have much on there, um, mm-hmm. send me. Yeah, send me a couple. Okay. Yeah, I think well, anything that's good is gonna you can use anything on Instagram. So we're all good okay. There. If there's good stuff on there, then that's fine. Uh, if you got something else you'd rather me use, you can send it to me. Okay. But I'll just use the Instagram if that works. Yeah, no problem. Cool, man. Thanks again, dude. Yeah, have a good one. You too, man. <laughs>